In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 373. That's right. We are talking this episode primarily about the Justice League Odyssey series. Now, you may be saying, hey, you guys already covered issue one of that series. Are you, you know, where, where are we at with this? Well, we are actually covering the first trade. Uh, since we're not doing an issue by issue sort of recap, it's not going to be super detailed. Actually, what we're doing, taking this first trade paperback uh, titled The Ghost Sector, uh, which collects issues uh, one through five, and we'll be doing a very sort of uh, high-level recap of this. If you want to uh, go listen to some more in-depth thoughts, some more gut reactions of kind of the start of this series, you can go find that old episode. Uh, where we covered um, the first issue of Justice League Odyssey. And I believe, let me confirm, I believe that was, yes, episode 338 of Justice League, uh, 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 episode 338 of the Lantern cast, we covered the first issue of Justice League Odyssey. But before we do that, we wanted to do some uh, listener feedback. We were, we're kind of testing out the doing this at the top of each episode. Um, that way, even if we have a very specific topic to discuss, um, we can still do sort of, depending on what people send in in terms of feedback, we can still go off the rails and discuss anything else Lantern related, um, potentially. So, uh, posted some stuff over on Twitter. Unfortunately, we don't have any new emails or voicemails to read. This is all comes from Twitter, but we do have a few things to go over. So uh, I guess we'll just jump right into it. Um, I'm going to start with uh, Laurel because this is going. This is the first one we got, and there's a bit of a chain here. And then, kind of, Mark and I will go back and forth, uh, you know, reading the the, the feedback here. Um, oh, we are okay. That's good to know. <laughs> well, you, well, oh, you ha- you have it up on your end, right? Well, I have it up, but but I not necessarily know what. It, I think I can go in reverse. I think I can go in reverse order depending on how these things friggin' opened up. But we may have we may have to hop, skip, and jump because of the way it opened up. No worries. All right. So uh, I posted the information about the most recent episode. We were covering the most uh, recent issue of The Green Lantern. Now that's number 10, as well as the Year of the Villain uh, Sinestro one-shot. In addition to um, some other feedback we had, the rant I went on about WB, that sort of thing. Uh, And we also spoke about the the Disney-Sony stuff. 
Uh, Laurel responded saying, uh, I still listen to Lan- LanternCast, but I jumped off the Morrison train after issue six. At $4 a month, I wasn't having fun. You talk about doing research. I'd appreciate your effort, but I'm not well versed in Silver Age to find this stuff and think it's unfair of writers to expect me to. Um, to which I responded uh, via several tweets. I'm with you. I don't think Grant expects anyone to research, but there's a fine line between a deep cut that aligns with the story and makes sense if you don't get it versus a general feeling of, wait, what did I just read? At the same time, though, I think that's a reputation Morrison has purposely garnered over the years. At this point, as much as it may frustrate me personally, I can't get too aggravated for him doing the number one thing we all expect from him at this point. I don't fault anyone for bowing out, though. It's a light season for Green Lantern content, so have to, so ha- to have to stop reading the one series we do have, someone must feel very strongly. We all should read those things we're most passionate about. And she responded that she felt guilty about dropping the last Green Lantern book, uh, but budget has no room for quote-unquote obligation buying. Morrison confused her from the first issue. Art wasn't helping she uh, had trouble telling the background from the foreground. Both improved to a degree, but I wasn't. Uh, she wasn't into this uh, this version of Hal and missed what Venditti had built. Any thoughts there? She's not wrong for the most part. I think I li- I think the art has grown at least on both of us. Um, so if we had any qualms about the art. When this book first started, I think the art I I have I've enjoyed Liam Sharp's art probably more than I've enjoyed Grant Morrison's writing on this book. <laughs> so, but I I get what she's talking about. I think and certainly in the beginning we know there was a lot of cra- we know it was really heavy. We know there was a I mean there was a lot of stuff to absorb, uh, which is you give Liam tons of credit because he put in so much work and there's a lot of detail there. But I I, I think but I think I, I get where she's coming from on that. I can I can kind of. I can kind of see that. Uh, as far as let's see, the this when I, her her comments remind me a lot of when we when we raised that question about you know whether this whether this book was basically user friendly, whether it was uh, accessible. That's the magic word that slipped my head for a second, and. It's, it's kind of funny trying to answer it. I mean, we, we kind of did answer it, but I mean, looking at the last two issues, I mean, overwhelmingly, those last two issues are not accessible. But the, the irony is they're not accessible to anyone. <laughs> he, unless you were like the ultimate multiversity fan and knew every single thing about the Silver Age that ever existed, even then, but if you only if you met both of those checkboxes, probably would you have, would you, would you even remotely be able to consider those issues accessible but they are the ultimate example of why probably as a whole this book is not accessible and in the last two issues my god and she got off before i got what did she say six right she said issue six. Oh my god <laughs> she got out when the getting's good on that level <laughs> just, <coughs> just from hold on <coughs> but I, I i get where she's coming from i think it's 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 tough, and I, and again, I don't I agree with you. I don't think I don't think Morrison really expects us to sit down and ah, to do research and. But it's but there's a point where it reaches a tipping point when you just kind of roll with stuff and hoping okay it's going to make sense at some point it's going to make sense at some point, but 
So I, I get it. I can't blame. I can't blame her. I was. I don't think. I don't think this book. If I. If we were not doing this show, uh, I don't think this would be enough to make me throw in the towel. Since I've been reading Green Lantern since like early '90s, I don't think it would cause me to throw in the towel. But it would be using the, like the word she mentioned, the obligation word. I would be almost getting it just because it's like, oh, I feel like I should be getting it, and I don't want to fall behind in Green Lantern stuff. I, have to, I I definitely get where she's coming from on this. Yeah, I'm I, I'm with I'm with both you and her on this. Uh, you know, like I said, it's it, I, I mentioned this to you in 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 uh, uh, Face Source Facebook message. It's it's an odd catch twenty two with the Green Lantern series. I mean, if I have the time to do the research and really understand all the stuff he's referencing and and make sense of every little uh, nod or detail or deep cut or you know you know just really take time to sit there and 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 figure out what's happening, who's what, and all that, then once I feel like I've got a handle on that knowledge, I really do enjoy it. But if if, if we're on a crunch or whatever, or if we say hey next week. We're going to record, you know, the Green Lantern number 11 or whatever. And by the way, we don't know for sure if that's the next episode, guys. Well, but can, You can almost guarantee it won't be. Um, but um, if we say, hey, the next week we're recording for Green Lantern number 11 and the issue just came out or whatever, you know, depending on my schedule of work, I work four 10-hour days and then I have three days off. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> that, unless I've got some other stuff going on, uh, you know, scheduled or whatever – that Friday is probably pretty shot. <laughs> I'm probably going to sleep in till noon. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to catch up or whatever. Uh, I'm going to veg out. I'm going to just kind of, you know, not do anything. So, but it, you know, and then the, the rest of the weekend is spent trying to either hang out with family or whatever. So I don't have a ton of time to actually research this stuff. Um, so if I am feeling the pressure and don't have time to do that research, then I just feel as lost as everybody else. So, it's it's this odd catch twenty two where if I put in the time, I really seem to enjoy it. In a lot of cases, you know, we've we've mentioned a couple of instances where it's more one shot or more light on the references or whatever, um, and that's all well and good. I enjoy those just by themselves without having to do the research. But um, I mean, a, a lot of this lately is more research heavy, and uh, to to have to do the research to enjoy it is. Is a little uh, is a little off. Not to say that I don't enjoy it. I, I enjoy it to a lesser extent if I don't have all the background knowledge. For me personally, it seems like it affects others, like Laurel, in that regard too. Um, but the only thing I would re-emphasize from what I said uh, that I already mentioned uh, in the tweet responses to her. I mean, life and finances, quite frankly, is too short to to read anything you're you're not loving. So I mean, we do the show. Um, so if there's any sort of obligation buying on anybody's part, it's probably us. Um, but beyond that, if you're not enjoying something, why spend your money and why, why waste your time? That is true. Plus we get to do the dirty work for you. You can just listen to us talk about it. <laughs> so, so you're not, so you're not, so it's like you're, you're, you're getting, it's like you're getting the, uh, fruit without the fruit without the, the, all the prop, the work of having to grow the plant. So you're, yay. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's see here. You want to read the one from Jack? Yeah, I'll do the one from Jack. Uh, Jack, should I do the whole handle? Or do we, or do we still do, do what we normally do and just keep the Jack part? 
<laughs> uh, just keep the jackpot. You can do the, you can do the 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 the, uh, yeah, the Twitter handle. Yeah, the the yeah. yeah. Well. Jack at Old Fashioned Outlaw. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's cool. I listened until you started talking about Marvel stuff, which I don't know if that was supposed to be a shot or just him making a statement. Uh, I enjoyed both issues reviewed, especially the Green Lantern number 10. It is a fact that DC is not promoting Green Lantern. It would be great if DC was promoting the Green Lantern. The book would be a cult classic. I agree with most of what he said. I'm still not buying that cult classic stuff. Besides, I don't, I, I don't, because Morrison is so high profile. I don't know if if, if this this book, even if it gate, even if it's something that becomes more popular after it ends, I don't know if it really can truly be a cult classic because it is. It's a relatively hope high profile book even now, even if it's not completely Even if you buy that, if you're going down that road to say, oh, it'll be appreciated down the road, which I don't necessarily agree with. But if you were, but if you were to go with that train of thought. I don't know if it really truly can be considered a cult classic because it's not like it's it's a small little book that people aren't reading now. I mean, people are reading it. People know about it. He's one of the biggest writers going today, so people know about it. It could be appreciated more later, but I don't think it really, in my opinion, I don't think it would really qualify as a cult classic regardless of whether that happens. But the other – I'm sorry. But the other stuff, yeah, we, we all agree with. They, DC is not – they're not doing much with anything related to Green Lantern. So. Yeah. And that's partly why we're doing the episode we're doing today, guys. Um, but uh, the when he says cult classic, I, I half agree with him because reading this book, there's a lot of earmarks. There's a lot of feeling of a lot of what people would consider tonally a cult classic specifically for an indie related title. I think the problem with this book comes um, one – the very uh, specific sort of fan base that someone like uh, Grant Morrison uh, garners. Some people love and religiously follow Morrison, but other people absolutely despise him. There's no, uh, I, I hate to, I hate to make a general statement that there's no middle ground, but there's very but, little middle ground. Yeah. There's very little middle ground when it comes to Morrison as compared to maybe in, in, in another writer. Um, but but the feel of this book, there are a lot of earmarks of a cult classic indie title. That being said, one of the other roadblocks is the fact that this is a, a book from the big two. So no matter how it's written or culty or classic, uh, that, that feeling or tone is, it's very rare for a big two book to become a cult classic. Because if you think of cult classic DC, I mean – you could say Watchmen, but I, I don't think that's that really qualifies because that's more general classic. If I were to say cult classic, I would probably think of Neil Gaiman, Sandman, um, or to some extent Alan Moore, Swamp Thing. Alan Moore, Swamp Thing is more also classic comics, but because of his writing style and how trippy things got and things like that, I would almost put it more in the cult classic category than general comics classic. Um, but there's not a whole lot of big two books you would consider not classic, cult classic. And I, I just think taking place in the larger universe of one of the big two is almost a self self-described roadblock right off the bat for anything being considered cult classic. 
Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think I think if something's going to be, and something's going to be published by the you know either of the main the big two, it would have to be something so far off the beaten path that it's and the one thing that came to mind. I don't even know if that were that would qualify because I was so young I wouldn't know how the reaction was. I was thinking like something like Commandy. Back when that first came out, just because, because it obviously had some high hope, pro, you know, it had the whole, it had obviously high profile talent attached to it, but it's, but it's, but it's not a mainstream book at all. It's not a superhero book by any conventional, in any conventional way. It doesn't even take place either on our Earth or in our current timeline, so it's not like you can have natural crossovers with the majority of the DCU that existed at the time. So I think that. At the very least, I think that criteria could make. You kind of would need to have something like those those check boxes to say, okay, even though it is published by, you know, I, the big one of the big two. But I I agree. I I I think I don't think it hits enough of the beats. Uh, I think at best at best it's going to be appreciated more. Uh, best you can hope for is that it. Which is kind of making a, it's kind of making rushing to judgment on this book now anyway. Assuming that there's not going to be basically a volume two of the Green Lantern, or it just picks up an issue thirteen whenever this Black Star stuff ends. If you if if you believe that somehow this book is a not appreciated now, but yet somehow will be, that's just that just kind of just to me that's no different than just saying other people's runs on different books that have existed before sometimes. Maybe people appreciate them a little bit more after you know, after time goes by. People will go back and say, "Oh, those were those would maybe look like everything else. Maybe whether it's accurate or just being sentimental and being human the way we are. That sometimes we ta- we kind of like look back at things a little more fondly and and romanticize them or whatever. That could just be an example of that. I don't, I, don't, I just don't see if it, that does happen. I don't see this as being oh yes, it's going to be a going to be a cult thing where it's also going to be like this big ground. This big groundswell probably for it, and something that was completely under the radar screen to begin with, but now all of a sudden find this niche. So, yeah, I don't. I mean, the closest thing to a hero book that I'd put in in a cult classic, I said Alan Moore Swamp Thing, but uh, there's also, I mean, you you mentioned uh, Commandy, so really only it, it, Kirby worked on so many things, right. but. Outside of the stuff, but like the fourth world, that didn't really. I mean, that that's his own creation, sort of stuff that happened. That I would consider cult classic um, in in some regards. Really, only almost any Simon Kirby creation and 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 stuff that wasn't part of the main universe. Because I know there's like uh, they're expensive, but there's some huge omnibuy out there for. Uh, and, and it's it is only really by genre. It's it's like Simon and Kirby sci- science fiction, Simon Simon and Kirby uh, romance, uh, so on and so forth. There's a, a bunch of big omnibuy out there that you can buy that uh, collects a lot of their works in those specific genres, but aren't necessarily like, for instance, science fiction isn't like the New God stuff or Commandy, but more just general sci-fi or general romance. Um, that stuff kind of gets that sort of cult classic stuff. But anyways, um, the next one came from Dan. <laughs> uh, and I mentioned that I had gone on a rant and I guess he didn't listen to the episode because he responded with, all I know is if Chad ranted about something, it was probably New- Newsarama's fault. <laughs> Dan, he's, he's, he's so out of the loop. Like we said, 
Dan, don't, you have to you have to understand. Movie Web is the new Newsarama. <laughs> Newsarama <laughs> is not nearly as bad anymore with the clickbait and the and the junk. It's usually Movie Web that does that. <laughs> well, I mean, I stopped following Newsarama because of the clickbait. Maybe they've gotten better. I don't know, but you know, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I I just you know clickbait. I'm not down on the war on clickbait. Uh, it really does aggravate me. It's just that there are certain times when it's just way more on the nose than before. Um, I, I still think it's wrong. I mean, I know that people get uh, ad revenue and stuff like that, and and I'm not against people trying to make money, um, you know, with their various passions and stuff like that. But uh, personally speaking, I don't think clickbait's the way to do it. I don't know what your solution is beyond that, but. Personally, I just don't think clickbait's the way to do it. Um, so I personally get super upset when it happens. But uh, yeah, this time, this time, Dan, it was a hundred percent. I'm not going after a, a fan website, a, a fan news website. I'm going after a major Fortune 500 company. <laughs> Is that any better? <laughs> well, it, it may not be when we're not on the air anymore. Ah. <laughs> uh. All right, so I'll, I'll go. I'll do. I'll do Zach's. That's right. I'd go cast Zach. Uh, not much to say other than I actually really enjoy this series. It's 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 an unexpected and fun combination of characters. Uh, this is uh, this is a good example, and and we'll get to some additional tweets that we got from Jack uh, again uh, in a in a moment here. But this is a good reason as to why we keep asking you guys to give us feedback. It's not just so we can feel important. Uh, you know, listeners, you know, we, there are clearly people listening to us and everything. It, it, it really truly is to have a dialogue with you guys and, and, and mostly to get a different opinion because it seems like, and it's not all the time, but it seems like Mark and I relatively often agree on our opinions on these books. And if you disagree and you are just like a hundred percent, just into the Green Lantern and uh, Morrison's run and 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 the way he's writing the art, you know, which we agreed we're into the art, but maybe the writing is the issue for us, you know, so on and so forth. How else are we going to portray a differing viewpoint when we ourselves don't share that viewpoint for through you guys? So definitely let us know if you're liking something that we're not liking or if you're disliking something we are liking. Give us your thoughts, not just that you like it or dislike it. Tell us why. And in this case, he's saying it's a, it's unexpected and it's a fun combination of characters. Yeah, epic. I mean, it, it is unexpected. I don't know what the hell I'm going to read each time I pick up the, the next issue, even if I've already read the solicit. So, I mean, it, he's 100% right. It's unexpected. And as far as a fun combination of characters... If I know who the characters are, sure. <laughs> if I have if I have my Silver Age 35-page cheat sheet to the right of me when I'm opening the cover, yeah, I'm ready to go! <laughs> but, uh, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's, this is a perfect example of why we ask you guys for feedback so we can get some differing opinions. And I really appreciate you, Zach, for, for, for uh, letting us know that because even if it's a, a brief tweet like this, you told us, hey, you're liking it, and here's two reasons why, even if you didn't go into super in-depth about it. So that's perfect. Guys, let us know. Seriously, when we ask, we, we mean it. Yes, we are not afraid to have 
differing opinions and to have an open forum. I know we we know it doesn't really fit in with current society that much, but we're but we're old school. We believe we believe there's a there's a, there's there's room for a healthy debate and discussion, and people can have differing opinions and. You don't hate everybody. You don't hate the other person, and, and they're not all communists and fascists and all this other crap just because. Oh my God, they don't agree with me. You can newsflash people. Hot take: You can like people and still disagree with them. <laughs> what the hell's wrong with you, Chad? <laughs> I said I'm out of here. That's not what I signed up for. <laughs> All right. So uh, the next one from Dan came, uh, and he said, "Oh, we, just I, a, I didn't even open that one because I didn't even think we were going to be discussed." Oh, so you get that one, and I'm going to get the one that begins with my, in my opinion. That's real fair, but it's okay. So, who wrote the "in my opinion" one? Is that still Jack? It's still Jack. Okay, it's, that's, what, two, that's what threw me sweet. off. Okay, now yeah. so back to Dan. Uh, Dan said, Jessica Cruz, best lantern or bestest lantern? <laughs> Neither is. <laughs> Dead. Uh, <laughs> um, no, uh, you know what? You, you, I, I can see if, you, if you've listened to Dan's, uh, Dan's podcast, uh, I think it's called Dance Mosaic. Uh, has he posted an episode? I don't want to turn on my Wi-Fi on my phone yet. Um I, be- I believe I'm subscribed, so I don't think I've seen one in a minute. But the Dan's Mosaic uh, podcast and get a feel for what he's passionate about these days and, and why he's passionate about it. I can see why he's really glommed on to Jessica Cruz as a as a good lantern. And, you know, you and I have mentioned, uh, you know, ad nauseum almost whenever she comes up that – with all the time they spent spent building her in Green Lanterns, maybe at the beginning of that series we didn't want to like her and didn't really care. But by the end of that series, not, our opinion of Simon didn't change because they didn't do anything with him. But they really did build up Jessica, and you made you want to know more and care about her to the point where, you know, for me personally, when that um, uh, that uh, Justice League uh, um, animated movie came out that featured Jessica, I was excited to buy that, a hard copy of that, pick it up and, and get it, not just because it had a Green Lantern, but I was curious what Jessica was going to, um, you know, seem like and in, in, in work like in an animated movie. Uh, I was really excited for that. So, you know, the bestest lantern or anything like that, I think maybe in your definition of what a lantern is or specifically the definition, if you're going to relate to uh, what the ring says when it comes on you, you are capable of overcoming great fear. She may be um, in, in a lot of people's opinion. Is she my number one? Nope. Um, but she she's definitely, um, you know, becoming more and more enjoyable for me. We both like Jessica. I, 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 I I was joking around. I mean, I'm joking around in the sense that it's not like it's not like they haven't built the character up where you can have a, a debate about whether she's worthy of being in consideration or just worthy of being a Green Lantern. I think <clears throat> I I think she's just blown past she's blown past Simon. <laughs> she just has reiterated the fact that really Simon doesn't really exist for a reason other than the fact that he was. Kind of, you hate to use the p word, but it almost was. For a pandering kind of reason is the reason why Simon kind of was created to begin with. Jessica actually seems to – she does exist for a real reason, and she has a, a story to tell, and it's an interesting take. So 
But it's just in the, in, in the sliding scale of all the Green Lanterns we already have, it's kind of hard to raise her. And the pure skill level. And the uh, when push came to shove, who would you rather have on your side? It's kind of hard to put her too high up on high up on the list. Uh, which isn't a shot at her. It's just that there's other people there. But when you already have Hal, especially Hal, Guy, and John that have been around for so long, and they all have their, especially now that Guy's been elevated up, you know, to this like uh, kind of like the Rocky of the Green Lantern Corps, where no matter what, he's just going to take a beating and keep moving forward to do what needs to be done. That it's kind of hard. You know, she. And I know this will get people upset. She's probably on the par with Kyle in the sense of what she can be. And how people view Kyle. I mean, I know there's a little romanticism with Kyle, too, back to when he was the only one. But Jessica has, you know, she's she's I mean, she's rising. You know, she's she's worthy. I think she's worthy, and that's all you can that's all you can can say at this point. And and you can understand why people can relate to her on some basic level. She is she is in a different on a different level, but she is relatable the way Kyle was relatable. Except you can make a case Jessica is more relatable from the perspective of she had that duality in her where she has so many issues, but yet there was that part of her that there was still that part of her that really was worthy of having a Green Lantern ring. We know Kyle in the beginning was just given the ring. It wasn't because he was worthy; it's because he happened to be there. We know it was retcon, but at the time he was it was he was Peter Parker with a power ring. It was not supposed to be because he was inherently worthy. It was just kind of like it was bestowed upon him, and he kind of like he he grew into it. He grew into the position, and he and he proved that he deserved it. But it's not like the ring sought him out because of his inherent talent or worthiness. But you can so Jessica in a different level is just as approach approachable or relatable. So I, I like I like Jessica, but I, I certainly but I still wouldn't be putting her in the if I was ranking top three, she wouldn't be in my top three. For sure. All right, the last one from uh, Jack. All right, so let's see. He, which how, how do you want me to read? Does it matter how I read these? Which no, it's, it's the the big part, and then the second. The, that was the, his follow up. That was his follow up to his own yeah. first part. Yeah. Uh, in my in my opinion, the Green Lantern is a great character piece on Hal that makes it more interesting. When it comes to the Lantern Corps that starts with Hal, there's something wrong with that. When it comes to the Lantern Corps that starts with Hal, so he needs to be the most interesting character. Uh, then he follows up with, if the core is really ending. I don't know why he phrases it that way. That's not the name of the book. But if the core I, – I get it now. If the core is really ending with his first 12 issues and transitioning into something else with the Black Star Mini in the next 12 issues, it is perfect to have Hal be that centerpiece, the Green Lantern. So do we want to talk about the point – I don't know if you yeah. – did you research? Did you find the quote? Cause I, oh, no. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, yeah. Replying – Again, guys, 10-hour shift. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I kind of – I'm not going to lie. I kind of zoned out about, it, about uh, getting a chance to – Dealing with the second part first, it makes sense that people, and I think we all, when we first heard the title, it kind of made it, it was natural to assume that that's what you're talking about, that the Green Lantern would be about Hal, because, you know, he he is the, you know, he is, you know, the like Green Lantern Prime, Prime pretty much. But Graham Morrison did say before the book even began, it was in an interview, that the reason the book is called the the Green Lantern is it's literally referring to the lantern, so it's not referring to a character. It's referring so it's physic talking about the physical lantern that's being that they, that's being used. So, but that doesn't mean that there can't be dual meanings and dual interpretations. So, 
but to me, regarding uh, that the you know how it makes sense that how would be the centerpiece the that kind of reminds me of something Grant Morrison kind of did say recently about about this Black Star mini thing that, that's coming out that. Which I thought was pretty cool for somebody who at one point didn't seem to have much use for Hal. <laughs> that he made some comment, that paraphrasing that the idea that basically, in a, I think he means in the context of, of this role, of the role that he's going to have in this Black Star mini, that basically the Hal is based on the nature of who he is. He's he's like always going to rise to the occasion. So whether it's the Green Lantern car core, whether it's the Black Stars, whether it's the Dark Stars, <laughs> whether it's the Green Stars, it doesn't matter if Hal if Hal in that an environment based on who he is, he's going to rise to the occasion and be the star and be a, you know, probably the best of the best in any kind of grouping like that or any kind of. So I, I thought that was interesting. That kind of relates a little, I think, to what Jack said. So, and depending on how it plays out, it could be there could be another meaning because he could be the only Green Lantern, even though he's going to be the black. We know he's a black star when the thing begins. He may be like the only Green Lantern, or there may be a reason why. Uh, related to the core, because obviously we know the core is not really going to be gone. Um, oh, oh no, it's Lost Army 2! <laughs> uh, uh, dealing with his, his first point, uh, is it a great character piece in Hal? I don't necessarily think it's a great character piece in Hal. I think a lot of people do have issues with it. There are some certain aspects of this don't seem very Hal-like, which even, again, Grant Morrison addressed in the beginning that there's a lot of things that were supposedly going to happen in the first part of the book that might not seem Hal-like, but it was going to make sense. I, yeah, I don't... I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say it doesn't make it more interesting because there are certain aspects, based on the environments that he's in and certain situations that he had and things that he has to... You know, figure out on his own, like this, with with his ring and mere Widen and things like that. But do I really think it makes him a? Do I think it makes it's a great character piece? I don't necessarily know if I honestly think that's. It's all to me. It's almost like he's being overshadowed. Certainly in the second half of this of this twelve issue run, because there's so much crap going on around him. He's he's literally like a like a passenger on a ship. That this. Well, that just serves to reinforce what you said about it not being about how. Right. Yeah. And and the only other thing I'd add to that, and I agree with all of that, the only, the only other thing I'd add to that is there's a difference, though. There's, there's, with Lantern fans specifically, there's there's a difference in the fandom. A perfect example of this, speaking of, of people who've given us feedback here, Dan. Uh, if you've listened to past episodes of the Lantern cast, early episodes – or maybe even uh, I don't I think you might have mentioned it uh, in Dan's uh, Mosaic show. I think you know if if you've heard him talk about it before, Dan's reason for liking Green Lantern isn't about a specific lantern. He likes the core. He he likes the core more than he likes an individual concept. So as much as for instance Jack may like Hal, that's not. Uh, that's not what has drawn a lot of people to the character of Green Lantern over the years. It could be how it could be another human lantern that has been showcased over the years, whether it was Kyle when he was a solo series uh, by himself or, or whatever the case may be. But there is a whole section of people that just as much as you may be drawn to how there's a whole section of people who just are interested in Green Lantern specifically for the concept of the core, not necessarily an individual uh, human lantern. So I think, you know, I, I, I think keeping that in mind 
when you kind of consider what the focus of a the the focus or focal point of a Green Lantern series should be in your mind is definitely something to kind of just keep keep floating on 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 the surface there uh, as you kind of consider what what it should be about what the focus should be what the the story should be telling what you know that sort of a thing so sort of lost the thought there at the end <laughs> it works man it works all right uh so that's gonna do it um again no emails no voicemails the best ways to give us con uh feedback folks uh we of course have our facebook page instagram stuff like that but uh, it seems like the best ways to contact us uh our voicemail and uh and email as well uh, I'm going to try and make a concerted effort to ask people for feedback on the weekends. That's Friday, Saturday, Sunday at some point. Not all three of those days, but you know, at least one of those days because those are the days I'm off. Every hour um, on the hour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of the, the days that I work, I work 10-hour days. So I don't necessarily, unless I'm just you know uh, killing time or whatever before bed, have time to, to remember to follow up um, during the week. But um, if, if you're, uh, the type of person who's on Twitter and wants to give us feedback, check for our tweet, you know, just follow us on Twitter and go to our page. And, and if we're not already showing up in your timeline and just check our most recent tweets and, and, and leave your feedback there. And again, it doesn't always have to be about whatever the most recent episode was. It can be about a couple of episodes back. It can be about some general Green Lantern stuff. It can be about, um, you know, whatever topic we discussed on, on episodes. It doesn't have to be just Green Lantern related. We, we would like it to be for a lot of cases, just be, so that gives us something to discuss other than the specific topic at hand. Like for instance, this episode, the Justice League Odyssey trade. Um, but, uh, we re- really welcome any feedback. Yes. Alrighty. So. Justice League Odyssey, the Ghost Sector. This is collecting Justice League Odyssey number one through five. Like I said, this is going to be a very high-level sort of recap. I'm basically going to be just uh, kind of page through it uh, and uh, and just kind of mention the general beats as opposed to reading any specific panels or anything unless something really jumps out to me. Uh, writer Joshua Williamson. Uh, artists consist of Stefan Sajak. Philip Brinones, uh, Carmine D. Gian Domenico, whatever. Sorry, I'm butchering these names. Uh, color, Stefan, Stefan Sajak, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Cox, Yvonne Placencia. Placencia. Uh, letter and world design and, uh, col- collection and series cover artist, Stefan Sajak. Um, again, uh, episode 338, we talked very in detail about the first issue. Um, but essentially, if you haven't read that or haven't listened to that uh, episode, we open in the ghost sector. Uh, for those who are not aware, the ghost sector is a uh, is a byproduct of uh, Justice League No Justice. Uh, at the end of that, a lot of the bottled worlds were released in this chaotic sort of uh, system of um all these bottled planets being restored to normal size. Uh, all these worlds that once were are now back into the universe, and there's this weird maelstrom out there. A lantern that was trapped in one of the bottled cities uh, says goodbye to her lover, uh, flies off the planet to try and alert the Guardians, but on her uh, way past the 
past the barrier uh, to try and alert them. And of course, she's being gone all this time. Her ring is dead, so she can't communicate with them. She is attacked and killed and her ring destroyed. Uh, you go to uh, present time and the there is one person uh, guarding the ghost sector uh, and the maelstrom that surrounds it. And that is Green Lantern Jessica Cruz. Uh, she is assigned there both by the Guardians and the Justice League to kind of guard the maelstrom. Uh, and the Guardians have given her specific instructions to not let, not let anybody through. Um, she is out there repairing the various outposts that are there. She gets a call from Simon. That call is interrupted when she sees Brainiac's ship. Brainiac's ship on board is Starfire, Cyborg, and Asriel. She tries to stop them. Uh, she doesn't have much luck. Starfire has to go out and save her, brings her aboard. Uh, they are attacked by creatures as they're being, uh, going through the maelstrom. They're not going to have a chance, uh, unless, uh, Asriel takes over cyborg pipes in and gets a energy boost from Starfire. Jessica surrounds the ship with her energy and they still crash onto a planet. Uh, Jessica tries to tell them, what the hell are you doing? Uh, no one's allowed in the maelstrom. Uh, they, Talk about how they could barely get through it. Nobody's getting out for the time being. Uh, they get attacked by a, um, a local creature of some kind, to sud- which is uh, suddenly interrupted by some uh, twisting red beam, dual beams, which uh, as you turn the page, you see the uh, new and approved dark side uh, has greeted them. Uh, he tries to... Uh, he tells them that uh, the old gods of the ghost sector um, are part of a prophecy and that that old gods, those old gods consist of Starfire, Cyborg and Azrael. Um, uh, we uh, everybody starts fighting Darkseid because duh, he's Darkseid. He's trying to convince them that he needs them to help save the multiverse. Of course, nobody believes him. He ends up taking Cyborg uh, on one by one, one on one. They crash to uh, just outside the temple of Starfire, uh, and uh, Cyborg starts to believe him. We see all of um, Starfire's um, followers dead around the statue. Uh, Cyborg believes uh, he may have been part of this. When he turns around, uh, Darkseid is gone. Jessica tries calling for help. Of course, that does not work. Um, they see all the dead followers Starfire sees her statue. She sees the only person left alive is this priest. Um, he goes to tell her kind of the history of the place. We followed your teachings. Um, you, you promised freedom in a new world to those who lived in honor of you. Family and friendships matter to you and to us. Our world was happy. And then they say, talking about a demon came. This is Brainiac, the Kaluan. Uh, bottling cities then when they were released into uh thrown from limbo and into hell hell being the ghost sector with the maelstrom and everything everybody started dying and uh the world changed and the air burned and famine happened uh he's the only person left he's dying uh the they were uh they were attacked um by the, the remaining individuals including himself were attacked by angels from above um he knew what they were after and tried to stop them. That's why everybody died. He takes them inside the temple where there is a multiverse key. It is a key not to just our universe, but to others. Whoever controls it can bring about great change. 
uh, he passes it over to the Justice League Odyssey, uh, uh, starts to die in her arms, uh, and he says, the writings say you have the gift to connect and take in a person's words when you bless them. That's referring to Starfire's ability to, through physical contact, learn the language and stuff of uh, anybody she's uh, in contact with. Typically, in the past, via kissing them seems to be her preferred method, but there you go. Um, as he's dying, she does this. She seems to be infected by his passing, and there's a bunch of energy in her, there's some sort of darkness. She starts to go, I guess, overpowered, nuclear, whatever you would want to say. Um we see a bit about the history of them, uh, like Cyborg and uh, Starfire taking the Brainiac ship uh, and initially leaving, um, just to get a bit of that context. Um, they are trying to control Coriander. Uh, it's not working. Meanwhile, the planet starts splitting apart, and uh, there's earthquakes and some instability. Um, Asriel grabs the multiverse key. Everybody gets on board the crashed Brainiac ship. Jessica uses her ring to construct some jets around it uh, and fly them off world. All right, as the planet uh, is uh, destroyed, but it actually almost looks like it's forming a cocoon instead. Uh, uh, Starfire doesn't know what's wrong. They take her. Um, they start heading towards another planet in the ghost sector. Meanwhile, elsewhere in the ghost, ghost sector, we see an alien being uh, questioned and tortured by this being named uh, Rapture, who is a servant of Asriel. Over on Kalu, we believe, uh, it's a snow-covered ice uh, sort of world. Um, Asriel and Jessica head out while Cyborg stays on the ship with uh, Starfire to help get her better. They are greeted uh, on the ship uh, by a local who promises to help uh cure starfire meanwhile asriel jean paul and jessica uh, come across this creature and he's actually trading in slaves and kaluans um they obviously are very against that so they start fighting um uh, and uh, that's when cyborg and uh, starfire show up on the scene uh and help them out uh, it turns out the guy who uh, was helping uh, Starfire and curing her is actually Darkseid in disguise. They don't know that. That is seen off screen. Um, meanwhile, after the Kaluans are freed, they start worshipping Cyborg. They refer to him as the machine. Um, one of uh, or the original, um, I guess you could call him Slave Master, whatever, whatever his title. and informs them of the location of the old gods, including the machine. He says he's on the wreckage world, and he thought if uh, the machine would come anywhere, it would be here. He'd want to go home, and he's looking upon a city and a massive statue of Cyborg. Um, everybody on Kalu is praising the machine. Cyborg doesn't want the praise. They go over to the wreckage world where they see the statue, they come across the priests. They want to test Cyborg's uh, claim that he is, quote-unquote, the machine. They can kind of knock everybody out. Elsewhere in the ghost sector, we see what Darkseid is up to. He comes across this being who's shrouded at first, but then we learn this is uh, Commander, which is Blackfire. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with Starfire and her uh, her life, this is her sister, Um while everybody else is uh, imprisoned, um, 
Cyborg is uh, out in a gladiatorial arena and forced to fight against Asriel. Um, they're trying to make the fight look good. Cyborg wins, wins the fight. This proves to them that uh, their god is returned. They start pra- praising Cyborg, their machine god. Um, Jean-Paul and uh, Asriel is thrown back in with Coriander and Jessica, and uh, the machines, uh, sentries there, start attacking them. They escape uh, and are still being chased down. They're uh, saved by Rapture, um, who is, of course, talking to his god of uh, Asriel. Uh, meanwhile, the, this priest for the machine god is being uh, is talking to Cyborg and telling him what they're building and what their goal is. They are building a mother box, um, uh, and it's for them to s- truly survive the ghost sector. We have to be transformed like you were into cyborgs. Uh, we get a bit of the origin of uh, how Asriel came into the, the picture, but cut back to this main fight. Um, while Asriel and uh, and Rapture are holding off uh, these machines alongside Jessica and Starfire. Uh, they learn a bit more about uh, Cyborg learns a bit more from this priest about why there's some uh, there's a war and everything happening. He says this is the ghost sector, as you call it, is a ticking clock to doom. Once the rest of the worlds learn the old gods have returned, the battle over who is the true god will be unlike any our worlds have seen. No one will survive, but we can stop it. You can stop it. Uh, the people must be controlled for their own protection. There are no alternatives. Basically, he wants to merge their entire populace of those who worship the machine with this ghost, this mother box that they have created. Meanwhile, over the, on the world of Tamaran, uh, Darkseid is still discussing things with Blackfire. They gain access to the, uh, a tomb, um, the, uh, a royal tomb. He goes in, goes into the waters to retrieve something. Back on the machine world, everybody's uh, uh, still fighting, um, and uh, the the rest of the team joins up with Cyborg. Cyborg taps into the built mother box because it contains all the knowledge of the Ghost Sector. He tries to figure out what's happening. He knows what Darkseid is planning. That Darkseid lied to them. He is building a new apocalypse, a death world bigger and more powerful than the original, to serve as a uh, bridgehead for invasion and conquest into our universe, into all universes. The ghost sector worlds are the building blocks he needs. The Kaluans knew what he was planning. They were trying to stop him. That's why they bottled and hid these planets. Oh, God, Corey, we let them out and we led Darkseid right to them. Um, so that's what that's the that's Darkseid's big plan. That's what's happening here. Uh, Cyborg gets a bit overwhelmed by all this. In the meantime, um, there's a bit of a come to Jesus moment. Oddly, between uh, uh, Rapture and Asriel, as Asriel's like, no, I'm not a god. Asriel goes up to Cyborg to try and remind him of why he came here. Darkseid crawls out of the waters, uh, and he has retrieved his uh, the, the piece he needed, the other box. Um, and then uh, the epilogue is Asriel, which, uh, uh, or sorry, uh, Asriel's follower, Rapture, returning. Um, to his base uh, and speaking to the uh, others of the order of Azrael, telling them that they must kill the new god or kill the old gods. Um, Rapture has taken down his hood, and it is revealed that he is the lover of the Kaluan lover of the Green Lantern of the Ghost Sector that was 
dying in her attempt to try and escape the maelstrom. Very, very high level. That's five issues. We didn't want to spend a ton of time on it. Um, there's a lot of other uh, specifics and details in there. If you want to know more, definitely go pick up the trade paperback. Cover price is $16.99 USA, $22.99 Canadian. Um, but um, that is the uh, first five issues of uh, Justice League Odyssey. What do you think? And you weren't going to mention the Asriel core at the end of the issue? <laughs> I did. I said the cult of Azrael. I don't know if think you, I don't know if you did. <laughs> yeah, I did. Did my mic cut out? I'm not sure, but either way, to make it clear, all, all these all these jabronis are dressed like classic Azrael, which Rapture was dressed like classic Azrael too. How how he got the outfit is a, is a nice mystery. <laughs> but all the point is that is that the is Azrael's outfit the suit of sorrows, right? I think so. Uh, yeah. But either way, the original Azrael costume. And even variations, like when they modified it slightly when he became the agent of the bat, which of course they reference like twice, at least twice in this, uh, in these five issues. That costume's better than this one. I mean, this co- the, the costume they have, John, I mean, it is Jean Paul, so I guess that's, that's something, but. I mean, it, what's weird about this is this, this version of Azrael's outfit here, this agent of the bat, it looks almost more like the new, what's his name? The, the signal? That new character, well, relatively new. Yeah, I, I see where I see where you're going with it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really, I'm really not uh, digging that, that outfit all that much. But I guess maybe they're trying to. It's like I guess they're trying to split the difference and make him, maybe incorporate enough elements, maybe of Nightfall, of Nightfall Asriel, along with, but. Yeah, I don't know. To me, classic Asriel is, you know... When I think of Asriel, the only two outfits I really think of are the classic Asriel outfit and, of course, the uh, the outfits that he that he wore. The, the one outfit and then the modified outfit he wore during, you know, during Nightfall. It sounds like you've got a lot of knowledge and attachment to Asriel, so if we want to start and do this by character by character, uh, how do you feel about this as an Asriel story? How do you feel about his his treatment and usage here here in the story? It wasn't story? it wasn't that bad. I mean, I think he's I, he's it's clear that he's kind of like pushed to the back burner in this mm-hmm. compared for now. Pretty for now, yes, in this arc. I mean, he's pushed to the back burner even probably more than maybe more than all of them. If not, she, probably with Jessica. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Jessica has her moments too, but most mostly Azriel serves as a foil here like when they need him to you know, pilot a ship though he doesn't know what the hell he's doing so they give him that role and when he needs to basically he needs to kind of almost be like the Hulk in Ragnarok except he's choosing to take one for the team and get beat and then the fact that he has to even though he's all excited to actually have a follower <laughs> it's like I finally finally here's my follower <laughs> that he has to make it clearly you know he's not a god and then, of course that completely disillusions uh, Rapture so I guess they give him a good character moment that he's not entirely driven by by ego and though they do they still they still kind of play on the old Jean Paul weakness of having you know the voice hearing the voice whether it's the Order of Saint Dumas or whatever talking to him that they even though of course in this they can explain it away for the most part it was Dark Side but they still had that they include that aspect of his of his character so I think Azrael I mean I I have I clearly have more attachment. To Asriel than pretty much any of any of the other four major heroes in this book. I don't Starfire other than 
other than uh, <coughs> Teen Titans Go, I have no attachment to Starfire <laughs> at all. Uh, Cyborg doesn't, again, the same with Cyborg. And I like Jessica, so Jessica's probably my, the most likable character from my perspective of the ones of of all of these. But That's why it was an odd um, mix. It was an eclectic mix of characters. Well, specifically regarding Asriel, guys, if you're out there and you like Asriel, and, and Mark, I'm saying this to you too, man. If you're out there and you like Asriel, pick up uh, Sean Gordon Murphy's um, – Batman Curse of the White Knight. This is uh, this is his um, this is uh, Sean Gordon Murphy's second volume of this series. For those of you who missed the first one, uh, this was the story where uh, Joker is cured and temporarily and becomes Jack Napier and and kind of you know goes sane again becomes. I think mayor becomes mayor of, of, of Gotham and starts enacting all these changes, uh, talking about, uh, Batman, uh, is, has become unhinged and there's this whole, um, rich people taking advantage of like the, I don't remember the specific name, but like, uh, the Batman destruction fund or things like that. And, 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 and pulling, uh, money out of that uh, emergency fund and things like that. And how Batman's a plague on the city, and this this isn't like a, a, a trick or anything. This this truly is, um, you know, that Joker gone sane and trying to better Gotham, uh, but kind of coming at still coming at Batman, but in a a, a legal sort of uh, interesting way. Uh, Dick and uh, Barbara, you know, they they too start to start to start to realize that Batman is going off the deep end here too. Um, and, and, uh, and endangering people's lives and things like this. It's just a really interesting story. And I've said for a long time, I really, 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 really freaking love Sean Gordon Murphy, uh, and his art. Uh, and, uh, for those of you, uh, familiar or unfamiliar, this is the guy who did Punk Rock Jesus. Uh, this is the guy who did, um, oh, what the hell is the, the, the book? Um, Tokyo Ghost. Um, several other things. If it's, if it's Sean Gordon Murphy, I've got it on my shelf. I freaking love this guy's art. Uh, I've got the, I've got the issues of Punk Rock Jesus. I've got the trade of Punk Rock Jesus. I've got the deluxe edition hardcover of Punk Rock Jesus. I freaking love Sean Gordon Murphy. His volume two of this Batman series came out. And, and when I say that, that the split personality between Joker and, and, and Jack Napier, is, is really apparent. It's almost two face like because at the end of this story, and, and I'm sorry, this is kind of a spoiler, but the issue, the issues have been out for a while now. The, uh, at the end of the story, you know, obviously Jack Napier, uh, you know, he, he, the, the, the solution to his insanity was only temporary and the Joker, he ends up being Joker again and put back into Arkham. Whenever anyone mentions what Jack has done, Joker just flips out and it's like, that is not me. That was Jack that, you know, just like almost two faced like at the very end of this, he finds the sword, the flaming sword and, and escapes Arkham and goes to, uh, kind of, um, uh, at the end of the first issue, the second arc goes to find, uh, Jean Paul. And it's, it's this, Asriel is heavily involved in this new thing. And it's, it's kind of all orchestrated by joke. It's so good. I thought, I mean, Sean, Sean's been killing it. I, I really freaking love this series. If, if, <laughs> if I could read only one DC book right now, 
it would probably be the White Knights uh, stuff series that Sean Gordon Murphy is putting out. If I can only read one DC series. Um, so yeah, if you like Asriel, freaking pick this up. Um, but that being said, that's the only reason I brought it up partially too is because that's really my only exposure with Asriel. I obviously I know who he is. The other exposure I have is is weirdly it's not Jean Paul and it's not Asriel. It's actually specifically the Order of Saint Dumas because uh, in those Justice League novels I'm so fond about the the prose novels. The Green Lantern one, uh, Heroes Quest, which features, which was written by Denny O'Neill and features uh, Kyle Rayner. When he gets his ring, he doesn't have the battery. Now we know in the story, in, in in comics, you know he finds like a shard, puts his ring to it, it morphs into, it morphs into the battery. That's not the case here. In the book, he has to fly across the world with the charge his ring does have to locate a battery left on earth by a previous green lantern. And that lantern that he has to go find and locate is in the treasure vaults of the order of St. Dumas. So it's, it's really weird because that's whenever I got to know a bit more about things, when I started to about the DCU, obviously you learn more and more and more. Eventually I heard the name, the order of St. Dumas in relation to Asriel not sure how I heard about Azrael before I heard about the Order of St. Dumas, but whatever. And that rung a bell with me to something, oddly enough, Green Lantern related. <laughs> it's a small world. I talked for a long time. Yes. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, we all, I mean, we all knew that, <clears throat> we all knew that Darkseid was going to be a bad guy. So that's not a surprise. The fact that they made it, they, they, they did that, then again, looking at how short this this uh, title ended up running, I guess it's maybe it was if it was kind of planned to always be relatively short. That maybe it wasn't a big a big deal, but it was a little it was so it was so anticlimactic the way they had did the reveal that he was a bad guy. I mean, I think they could have at least they could have built it up a little bit more. But like I said, if they really knew this thing, it was they either knew or they suspected this this series was going to have a really short shelf life, and maybe they, they there was really no point in. Uh, Playing around with it, so I I I I, I thought it was I thought it was interesting. The change of the art, like in issue three, was pretty drastic. That was a pretty it was, that was a pretty yeah. dramatic switch, and I didn't like it. I the art in, in issue one and two seems to really fit where they were going with in this, and I liked it. It was really yeah, it was a dramatic shift, and I didn't like it. Uh, starting in issue three. I, I understand that has to happen sometimes, but in my mind, if you know you have a relative, I guess it just we know it happens. There's reasons in the industry why it happens. It just gets annoying. It just so it's so much better when you have the same artwork, and at least for each arc, even if you're going to change from arc to arc, that just have the same main artist beyond. It's even more annoying when it's only like a two or three issue arc, but this was a five. But it, it it did it absolutely. It I think it I think it took away. I think it took away from the my enjoyment of the of the arc. It was yes. Uh, speak, speaking of the art, I, I would agree with you. You know, it's weird. It almost it, for me it goes in order. My favorite art of the three artists in here are the first two issues. Three and four is my second favorite, and five. It's not like it's it's bad art or the or, or whatever, but it is my least favorite. There's almost too many lines, too many details. I don't know if maybe that's partly the inker's fault or partly the colorist's fault but there's 
there's almost too too much busyness in the art um, in the fifth issue because the fifth issue had a, a, a whole nother artist too. Um, that one was uh, the Carmine uh, DGM Mincio um, artist. The other uh, the issues three and four were um, uh, Philip Brinones. But Stefan Sajak, for sure, the first two issues really, I, I really enjoyed his style, uh, in, uh, and liked the way that, that was, uh, implemented. I think Stefan Sajak's art on the first two issues in particular are probably one of, not to say that the story itself is bad, but probably one of my high points of this trade. I would absolutely agree. I mean, I think from an art perspective, it definitely went downhill after issue two, and it did affect my, Especially sitting there and reading it all at once, even though like we did obviously didn't do issue one a while ago, but having issue issue one and two flow together so well, and <coughs> excuse me, and then have to go to issue three and four, and then the change in five, it's just I actually I think let me let me go back and look at I have which let me go back and look at five real quick. And while you do that, uh, just to, just to point out some positivity here. Uh, on, on, on issue five, uh, even though Carmine's art is, is my least favorite of, of the three in this book, there were a couple of really great moments, like the splash page showing Darkseid's plan, uh, the little sort of, uh, art uh, hologram that the pre-show cyborg saying that there's going to be all out war or, uh, war. Jessica creating a bunch of constructs like that one, yes. for, for everyone to ride. That was fantastic. Um, a lot of the stuff I liked in, in, um, Philip Brinone's art uh, are some of the larger splash pages, like when they first uh, show the the big two-page splash uh, on uh, issue four of the main statue of Cyborg and the rest of the city. Extremely detailed, beautiful. Um, lots of the shots of Starfire in action. She looks more like classic Starfire, where her hair is more um, kind of the 80s style, where it was super poofy up at the top and 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 flowing down as opposed to more straightened out like it was uh, for for Stefan Sajak's art, but still that classic callback of the way her face and her hair looked, uh, but yet still in this new costume. I mean, there's there's a lot of positive points in even the art that I quote-unquote didn't like in comparison to Stefan Sajak's stuff. I think that's fair. I think those moments you mentioned in 5 were really good, but, but I think you're overall you're probably – it's close for me between three, four, and five, but there's just a dramatic drop off compared to one and two. Mm-hmm. For sure, and and even the art, like um, what is, uh, I basically like also almost everything that was done with uh, with Darkseid and Blackfire. Uh, it, there's there because there's only two characters on the page. There's not a whole lot of um, stuff to to focus on or get distracted by. And, you know, Blackfire's design and her poses and things like that look pretty great. Um, the uh, kind of half double page spread of everybody screaming test in the gladiatorial arena. I mean, that looks cool. There's just 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 to just to throw out that positivity. But um, I picked this series up because duh, Jessica, but I was going to get it even with if there wasn't a Green Lantern involved just because I'm I'm familiar enough with the villain. Um, I'm curious about the ghost sector because of this, the events of Justice League. Um, no justice, which I, I have a question I was going to ask you uh, after I'm done saying this. Um, 
Starfire is one of my favorite characters in the DCU period. Um, top 10 at the, I don't know for sure top five, but definitely top 10. Um, I, I've always been curious about Asriel. So if I'm already going to be picking up the book, the, that's, you know, learning more about him as a bonus. Really for me in this book, the only wild card is going to be Cyborg. I've, I've mentioned this before. I'll say it again. I've never had a connection with Cyborg. I never read, uh, as much as I've, uh, as much Titans related stuff as I've read, like I said, Starfire is my focus. So I don't really care too much about Cyborg. Cyborg's never really had his own solo series. Uh, for the most part, he did have his solo series in the new 52, but I believe that was probably his first ever solo series. Um, I don't know, man. I just never really had any sort of pull to the character of Cyborg. Um, but I do like that I came away from this series not disliking Cyborg anymore. I just still sort of remain neutral. I'm just, I'm just glad that there wasn't a, an X factor in here that made me go, Oh, as much as I want to stay interested into this to learn more about Asriel, to see my girl Starfire in action, to keep up with what's happening with Jessica, man, the way Cyborg is characterized or the way he's uh, pulling focus off of blah, blah, blah. I just, I just can't do it anymore. I do like that. I didn't walk away from the series um, or this, this trade at the very least um, feeling that way. It didn't really impact me. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you uh, before I forget, I know that, we had mentioned in, in the previous episode uh, that you hadn't read any of the, the Justice League uh, stuff with, with the Invisible Spectrum or anything. Did you lead, read any of the No Justice 4-issue stuff before that no. that sort of set all this stuff up? No. Okay. All right. So since you didn't read any of that, did any of the context that you were missing – impact your enjoyment of this i mean it feels like they give us enough of a recap here and there that you can follow along but did you ever at any point feel like utterly lost no i think they gave they they gave us they gave us enough of an introduction introduction in issue one of the concept and why jessica was there and then obviously as the story arc goes on we understand they pretty much give you while obviously we don't see the ghost sector basically brought out and it's already there and established by the time this begins. They give you an explanation for what it is and basically why it is and why these worlds were hidden to begin with. So by the time this arc ends, so I I think that was pretty straightforward. Yeah. Um, I guess before we wrap this up, I, we should focus a bit on Jessica. I like Jessica in this. I do have a small problem with it, and it's very small. I think, I think we might have said this before. I don't know if it was both of us, one of us, or maybe Dan or a listener. I if they were going to, I think we said it at the creation of Jessica, if they're going to shine a light on the the problem of anxiety and those sorts of uh, mental disorders and things like that, um, we, we, it, je- this has got to be something Jessica always deals with. You can't just have like the first six issues be like, okay, she's a Green Lantern now. She went through some training. She hit a hard point. She pushed through it. And then, bam, now she's cured. She's over it. And it's not like she is in this, but it just feels like there's not as much, not that it needs to be a focus, but it just seems like there's almost no mention of it except in past tense. Like, oh, remember when I used to be like this? Because she's making this massive construct of a jet around the Brainiac ship. She's making all these vehicles for everybody to ride. She's protecting everybody in the collision. Like, it seems like she's 
in here more her role in this series is more green lantern just and you could just insert green lantern here as opposed to the specific unique qualities that specifically having jessica there would offer the story i would say that criticism is fair i i that's one thing i did notice in reading this that it did not seem that they i'm not going to say it wasn't jessica like and based on the way she was wielding the ring but yes it was un jessica like in the sense that it was it was like if you just read this series you'd never know about the issues that she has yeah for sure all right, I think that's all of the points I wanted to bring up. Um, is there anything else uh, about this that uh, you wanted to mention? Are, are you looking forward to the next arc? Yeah, I'm interested in it. But I was interested after when we when we first did uh, that first issue. I was pretty, I was pretty interested in. I, I based on what I had read, it intrigued me enough where I wanted to con- continue reading. Plus, it's such an odd group of people. Brought together, even though, to be honest, Asriel's the only one that truly 100% stands out like a sore thumb out of these four. Uh, the stowaway that Asriel is, because <laughs> they made the point. Mm-hmm. So, the Dr. Smith of the group. I think it's, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how this, how the next arc plays out and how this book plays out before it obviously wraps up. Did it wrap up at 12? Um, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know. Um, uh, I've, I've beyond this, I've kept up with the series. I have all the issues digitally. Um, like I said, though, because we switched to this new schedule, the, the four 10 hour days, when I sit down to read something, I have to be just in the mood to focus. And I just haven't been lately. I've sort of kept up with it cursory. I'm pretty sure it wrapped up with 12. It may have been even earlier. Maybe it have been with eight. Uh, something in the back of my mind is saying that. But, uh, yeah, uh, I, that's, that's sort of another thing. I almost wish that instead of doing uh, the traditional five to six issue trade chunks, that – Every trade published would be a full arc. And I'm not saying you can't end on a cliffhanger, so maybe like that that promotes the next arc, but I think you should get a full story if you're going to purchase a trade paperback. I don't know if that's really feasible in an era where we do maybe a five or six issue storyline or even an eight issue storyline, and then we have like two random one shots and then the next five or six issue storyline and then another random one shot. I don't know if that really makes sense in this modern era, but I, I, I feel like nowadays if you're paying in this one's six sixteen ninety nine, And then of course in this particular case, you would have to be lucky. Okay. Because DC and Marvel still do this, if the series is super popular, the first rendition of this in a collected format is going to be in hardcover, which means it's going to be like more like twenty four ninety nine. If you're investing that much money, twenty four ninety nine for a hardcover or sixteen ninety nine for a trade paperback, regardless of what edition it comes out in when it's in its first collected format, I feel like you should be getting a full story out of that. I agree. I, I mean, I, I think that's a good point. I, I do think that's a good point. Um, because although this is titled The Ghost Sector, did anything wrap up in this? No, other than... I mean, it, I guess you have to say yes, because you understand what The Ghost Sector is, you understand why it, it why it was hidden, and you understand why Darkseid wanted 
wanted to explore it and why he needed to get into it, uh, at least loosely. So mm-hmm. I think – so I guess I, you would have to say say it did. Uh, it's a, it at least ran through – let's see. Uh, hold on. I'm confused by this. It looks it, it it looks like number twelve. This book was first published on August fourteenth, twenty nineteen. So maybe issue twelve issue twelve is the last one that came out. So maybe it isn't done yet. We just know it's going to end. Right. Um. But it looks like that Dark Gifts, the year of the villain tie-in, was the last issue that came out of this. Uh. I get I get where you're coming from though I get I I, I see your point but I I, I certainly think we've been uh, left more high and dry in uh in story arcs before so I don't think it's that it that was that striking to me anyway for sure uh, if we were to give this like a you know a, a school project rating is A B C uh, I would maybe a B. It could maybe go up to a B plus. There were some things in it that didn't. I thought it was. There were things in it that I liked, but it it didn't it didn't grab me all. Like I was interested. I was more interested in why and how they'd be. All these characters were being worshipped, but I but the actual minutia, if you will, using that term of how they were being worshipped, uh, that didn't that didn't really do as much for me. I mean, it's, I also thought it was interesting because there's some elements, there's, I think there are some elements in this, there are a few elements in the story that reminded me of the next issue of the Spectre that Jim and I are going to be doing a little bit. So that, I kind of thought, I, I saw a little correlation there. So. Are you going to mention that in that episode? Or has that already been recorded? No, we haven't, we have not <laughs> recorded it yet. Uh, but yes, when, when I recorded, as long as it, you know, as long as, uh, I still think that tie-in holds true once I go back and reread the. I think it will because I just actually read it's the the next three issues of the Spectre when we do that uh, pre-birth are it's the same arc, but we're only going to do. I think we're going to as a tease because I, what a cool cliffhanger the next issue has. We're just going to do the first part probably in an episode and then do the next two parts and wrap it up. But I but I did notice that when I read the first two parts the other night. That's like even and then I read this and then I read this last night. All five mm-hmm. issues, so yeah, I, I I liked it though. So I probably would say I would say it's it's a B a B to B plus for me. Yeah, I would definitely say B plus. Um, I'd agree with that. If if you guys are Jessica Cruz fans, I think it's a must. I mean, as, as much as the um, I have a bit of an issue with her uh, anxiety or, or or the 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 aspects that make up her, other than the fact that she is a Green Lantern. I think she does still add a bit of levity and, and a, you know, a, a, some cool effects and stuff to the story. Um, and obviously she'll play more of a factor later on. It's just you can't really expect too much of her in this series because, you know, you, you, you come into this knowing that specifically Cyborg, Starfire and Asriel are the old gods in here. And Darkseid's plan was to lure them here. Jessica is just sort of the accidental... Uh, addition to this equation that nobody planned for. So since she doesn't have necessarily a history in this ghost sector or anything like that, you can't really expect her to be as focused on as much as 
the quote unquote old gods of Cyborg Asriel and Starfire. Um, but that also means she's the X factor. She's, she's the unplanned variable that Darkseid didn't lure here. So there's, there's some, there's some, uh, you know, sort of, uh, uh, unpredictable stuff that can happen to her in the series. So if you're, if you're a Green Lantern fan, I'd say, you know, flip through this on, flip through this on, at your local, uh, comic shop and, and take a look. Uh, if, if our recap of this, if, if the story arc that we described sounds interesting to you and you want to know the details of it, just flip through it and see if you like the art. If you like the art, I say pick it up if you're just in it for Green Lantern related stuff. If you're in it, if you're looking specifically for Jessica stuff, I'd say you can't pass this up. You got to get it. I would agree with that. Awesome. All right. D23? Yes, that's D23. We won't spend too much time on D23 because we don't – probably not because this episode is – I mean, if we do this in like 20 minutes or so, this episode will not really cross into the unruly time frame. Uh, any particular place you want want me to start? Uh the only, the only, well, the only thing I wanted to get out of the way just real quick is because I did scroll through an article that just kind of linked a bunch of other articles. So a lot of stuff I know based on headline. Um, I took a screenshot of it, uh, I, and it's just yet another reason for me to get, um, the Disney Plus. Kristen Bell is going to be hosting a, uh, and producing a reality series called Encore about high school musicals. And basically people who used to be, uh, as a part of theater or musical group and are now adults coming back to high school to, uh, within, I don't know, a week or three weeks or whatever it is, um, produce a, a play that was a big high point or, or musical that was a big high point of their week. I mean, or, or, or of their time in high school. Um, I, I thought that was kind of cool. I, I'm not a theater or musical person, but you know, if, if it's Kristen Bell involved, I'm going to be there. Um, but man, and, and plus I saw something, this was, this is, this wasn't D23 related. I saw that, um, there's going to be a package for Disney plus where you can get ESPN plus and Hulu plus for some extra bucks per month. And it's just like, at this point, I'm like, Oh God, what's, how am I even considering buying DC universe? Like I, I don't get me wrong. I Titans is cool. I'm really wanting to see the new swamp thing series. Uh, doom patrol sounds awesome. The various, uh, animated series that are coming out. I'm definitely curious about that star girl series because the, I hear there's a lot of JSA members in there and I'm a huge DC fan and uh, over Marvel. But at the same time, there's just so much content on Disney plus. It's like, if you're going to pay for a subscription, and you don't want to pay for an ass ton of various subscriptions, why would you ever choose DC Universe over Disney Plus? And plus, you have to really wonder, where, I mean, about whether the the DC is going to think it's even going to survive. I think there's a lot of questions about whether that platform is going to survive, which is which is not necessarily just a. a indictment of them because a lot of these other a lot of these streaming platforms are not going to survive it's going to i mean everybody's jumping into the everybody's jumping into the mix and not everybody's going to make it uh so they're going to be gobbled up there's going to be one's going to some are going to fold some are going to merge or it's going to before at the end of the day there may only be two or three streaming services and who and some people have even speculated hey you know at the end of the day with, with some of these streaming services crash and burn who knows it can, can, 
people may be go people may go back to cable because at least you can get like from a movie content perspective at least you're going to be able to on pay channels at least you're going to be able to get the movies that you're not going to be able to get on every single platform because you're only going to get you know these movies on platform A and these movies on platform B that depending on how many platforms you have that so i think it's Plus, they also have mentioned what the Disney Plus, what was it? If you're willing to commit for like what, is it three or four years that you could get it for like four dollars a month? I wonder if that applies to that package I, I, I just mentioned with the ESPN Plus and Hulu Plus. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it does, I and mean, it also depends on whether they're making you pay up front or whether it's still going to be a monthly, a monthly charge or not. But you just have to commit to doing it. But either I'd way, almost rather I'd almost rather do everything at once. I, I for some reason I'm just really not down with the idea of a monthly fee. Um, it's all, to me, it's not, it, to me, it's not a, sub, a subscription at that point. It's almost like a loan payment. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like a bill. Uh, oh, yeah, I mean, it, it is, but it's a bill, but it just, it seems more like, like a, a, an unnecessary expense as opposed to a one-time purchase sort of thing. <laughs> also depends what that, uh, it also depends on what that one-time, purchase fee is going to be if it's if it is like if it's like four dollars and you have to pay for like a couple of years up front then it's not really so bad just like when i did the regal when i did the regal unlimited the reality is that i did not want to shell out you know close to three hundred dollars or whatever for for a year's commitment to that so for me and uh for me it was worthwhile going to just to do it monthly even if I have to commit, I'd rather pay like the like the uh, like the tw- like the twenty three fifty or whatever with tax a month that, that that I get that I get charged. I'd rather do that monthly than having to pay. But yeah. all right, so I say we start with Marvel since a lot of that is just sort of hey, this was announced as opposed to discussing things like trailers. I feel like we'll probably talk about the Star Wars related stuff more than we'll talk about uh, Marvel. So, what came out with Marvel? All right, for, so based, most of the Marvel stuff was just TV shows related. Uh, well, there was one movie thing which was a little surprising that they announced Black Panther's release date, which was going to be, what, uh, 2022, but it was the May release. But I think we all suspected it was going to be the February release since it came out in February of, what, 17? 18, 18. came out in February. I mean, it, it makes sense, given the popularity of the first Black Panther movie. I would anticipate the second one being highly and highly anticipated film, which would fit for the May slot. But it would be, but it makes you wonder what they're gonna. It makes you the thing that's the thing that was puzzling about it is that then because we have the February slot for that year and a late July slot, and it made sense when Black Panther was going to be the February because then you figured Guardians was going to be the May. And then we, I guess we were kind of speculating Blade because it's it's like the end of the month. It's not beginning of July. It's like the end of the month. So now it makes you wonder. I mean, I guess they could release Guardians in February. They could do that. But if it's not, I don't see – it kind of would be weird to pushing Guardians back to the end of July again. It kind of would seem like a – No, I would say Blade would be the summer release. Wasn't Ant-Man a summer release too? Yeah, Ant-Man. Both, both Ant-Mans were – or summer releases. Okay. Well, I think they both. Yeah. So, so yeah. So the stuff that's more of a smaller audience or, or a gamble, I, I would say, is more likely for for the summer release, which would which Blade would fit that. 
it just it just still seems a little odd to me since February was a perfect just for multiple reasons fit for Black Panther and the first one came out in February. If they if they didn't have Guardians that they had to fit in too, I would agree with you. If, if the choices were, in my opinion, between Captain Marvel and Black Panther, which one did you, did you want to have the sequel come out in May? I'd say yes, Black Panther. But since you know you got to squeeze Guardians into this mix. And you, and there's no and logic dictates dictates that Guardians probably is a 2022 release since they're pushing it back as far as I mean unless something really goes screwy with suicide, the Suicide Squad and guns still not going to start making this movie in at some point in 20, in 21. Uh, I, it just seems weird that they would that, that but I guess they may not care because they know Guardians is, will do business. So they they can release at any time. So they can release it in February if they want. It just that that struck me a little bit, just a little odd. But it doesn't surprise us that Black Panther was coming out in 2022 because we all kind of knew. I mean, logically, they can only push these sequels so far down the road. Captain Marvel, they have a little more leeway because Captain Marvel came out a year later. <laughs> you know, Captain mm. Marvel came out this year. Um, and now, and obviously now we know we know we don't, they don't. We know for the time being that we don't. They don't. There's no contradiction or conflict with trying to fit in a Spider-Man release, which we kind of that last time we talked about Comic-Con, we were still talking about that. Uh, since I mentioned that, I just do this quickly to get that off the plate. Obviously, as we speak, there still is no deal between the two of them. Constant rumors here and there. Then they did address it, both Feige, I think, and Tom Holland, because Tom Holland was doing some animated movie with, actually, ironically, Chris Pratt, I believe, that they announced. Oh, yeah. What's that? The, that's that, um, that uh, Disney Pixar uh, yeah, it's a Pixar movie, movie about, this, about the supernatural characters like elves and fairies and gnomes and stuff, right? I think so. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't, yeah. I didn't pay as much attention, but... Both Holland and Feige kind of dealt with it, and, the be- and I think the best way they could have, because there's three way- three real ways you could have dealt with it. Ignored it and not comment on it. You could have tried to be upbeat and positive, which would be nice for fans, but even if you think deep down there's reason to be optimistic, that could be per- perceived as weakness from a negotiation perspective. Or do exactly what they kind of both did was take the high ground and say it was great while it la- we, you know, we had fun. It was great while it lasted. We didn't. We knew it was ne- never going to last forever. Uh, you know, some things. Who knows what the future brings? Blah 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 blah. So that, I think they handled it the best way. The one thing I did find interesting was the day after you and I recorded, since we recorded the night after the, the night after the afternoon, all this stuff broke. When it clearly, regardless of the pushback. I think a lot of pushback has been against Disney. Even a lot of people said, Sony, give it back to Marvel, but that's never going to happen. But I think a lot of the people just jumped on the Disney greed. I mean, we talked about this. Clearly, you know, this was a Sony. Somebody at Sony leaked this. I mean, timing-wise. First of all, it was heading right into D- D23. So the timing was perfect. Plus, it was one side of the story, which, we, which you know, we kind of knew. Now, whether Marvel, and depending on what story you're here, yeah, Marvel may have asked for 50% up front, but was always left out of the story, and I read this on Variety, I think, like the day, the day after we recorded, that Marvel was more than, not that I think this is, was enough to make Sony take the deal, because it isn't, I think you would still be losing out, but Marvel was also willing to pay 50% of the, the cost in making Spidey, all the Spider-Man movies from Sony, which right now they pay nothing in, so they produce it, and they get a cut in it, but they don't pay anything they don't pay any of the production costs and or marketing costs for that movie. But but 
Disney slash Marvel was willing to do that and split the cost. Also, supposedly, if you believe some of this, including Venom movies to bring Venom into the MCU and even Spider-Verse movies, they were willing to do all that to go half to go half in the making, all, all the cost of making the movie in order to get a bigger cut on the return. So that so, I still think it'll get done at some point. I know everybody's post- posturing and saying, "Oh, and Sony, oh, we're gonna." No, they're they're, they're doing what they need to do. They could probably even make a, the next Spider-Man movie, and it doesn't really impact the MCU because we're not getting an Avengers movie till down the road. Spidey's gonna be on the run based on where we left off in Far From Home anyway, so they could probably get away with him keeping a quote-unquote low profile and not necessarily talking with Happy and anything related to the MCU. For, for for even for one movie, it could even fit into the basically it could even be a plot point that logically would make sense even if you could use them. So that I just wanted to mention that briefly. For the MCU shows, yes, they announced three more MCU shows: Moon Knight, which is not a real surprise because there have been there have been rumors about Moon Knight uh, coming at some point. Uh, Ms. Marvel, which I don't really have any interest in, and She Hulk, which could be interesting, and at the at at the very least, it'll be interesting because you know that means Ruffalo is going to at least be in one, at least in the first episode, if nothing else. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. I, they certainly are really, really doubling, doubling down on the TV shows. For sure, um, which just kind of adds to the whole Disney Plus thing I said earlier. Like, how can you not? <laughs> at this point, oh, at this yeah, point, it's just, yeah. it's just, it's just a foregone conclusion. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think of those, I'm probably actually most excited for Moon Knight, although I have no connection to the character. Um, I mean, I just hear so much passion surrounding the people who like him. And, and you know, even the, the kind of uh, one-off panels or, or pages from various comics that he's been in that people will post as, as uh, a way of touting how why the character is cool, kind of the offbeat things he says and does and, and all of that stuff. Um so I, I mean I, I I'm really curious to see how that's adapted on screen. I think that'd be cool. I think it's also gonna. I mean for for me, I mean I have I have ties to Moon Knight going back because of course yeah, his, his first appearance. His first yeah. appearance was in, in Werewolf by Night. I think thirty two and thirty three. But also he's an interesting character because he's run the gamut of being you know being like mercenary bad guy to hero and and everything else. I do have the first issue of that. Of the first series that they ever did of him, so I'm full- do you have his first appearance? Oh, I have his first appearance because I because I have because I was reading Moon, I was reading Werewolf by Night religiously at that point when I was a kid. So I have those issues. Yeah, I have. So I'd be more if you want to do those one day, I'll be more than happy if we could, we could do those issues. It's quite it's quite interesting. Uh, but yes, and and I and I do have the first issue of his regular of the first series that they gave him, which I'm not sure I might have been a limited. Because they were big on limited series, I think, like in the eighties. But I, but either way, I did. I do have the first issue of that. Not when they did the Marvel Knights, which I think he was. I think he had a book under the Marvel Knights label. I'm pretty sure he did. And I, I'm not yeah, even that familiar with the character. That, but I, yeah, I, I'm cool. It depends who they cast for that. But I, I'm, I'm curious. I am into that. I think She Hulk, the She Hulk could be good. But I think again, I, I need to, I need to know more. I need to know more about. The, about those about that show before I'm really excited and Ms. Marvel yeah I, I've never read anything with the character 
to me, Ms. Marvel is still Captain Marvel because it's Carol, you know, because Carol Danvers was Ms. Marvel before she was Captain Marvel. So I have no ties to the but Kamala Khan character. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll. But I'm interested. But I do like what they're doing. I do like that they're using that platform to further their their movie development or their M to more connective tissue to the MCU. So they're kind of, in a way, they're kind of doing what the Netflix shows weren't. That they were technically part or in the same universe, but they just were never. But the TV shows basically were never referenced in any of the movies, even though the movies referenced. I mean, the TV show referenced the movies or characters from the movies. I think it's I think it's interesting. I'm also being me. I'm curious to see how some of these contracts work. Like I'm like Sebastian stands on such a huge contract with Marvel when he signed on as Bucky. I'm curious to how that works regarding the Falcon and the Winter Soldier show. It's like does that like take the place of one movie? Does it take the place of two movies in his contract? Did he sign a separate contract and he still has the same number of movies to go? I'm curious about that. And I didn't speaking of that show, I did like the I did like the artwork for that show because I did like the fact that we're getting that it looks like we're saying goodbye to Dirtbag Bucky. <laughs> we're getting much more we're getting we're getting clean short hair and relatively clean shaven Bucky, which is kind of which is something we really haven't seen since he uh since what, like nineteen forty four or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for sure. I, I have a comment, but it, it kind of gives us a good uh, segue into the Star Wars stuff. Uh, was there anything else about Marvel you wanted to mention before we move on to the Star Wars stuff? That way I don't segue without us being done with the I'm topic. Trying to, I'm trying to – let's see. I'm, they obviously showed posters for a lot of the shows, and they show the WandaVision poster, which – that show is – the, the dynamics of what that show is going to be like is in the most – to me, that's – it's not the show I'm looking forward to the most, but it's the most – it's the most intriguing since they keep tying it into like the 1950s sitcom approach and just the mere fact that the vision's alive and what they they said that Darcy from the Thor is going to be in it as long as well as what agent what Jimmy Wu from uh, from Ant-Man and the Wasp his character is going to be returning so they're going to be part of the supporting cast in so that's the that's the show that intrigues me the most the poster for Black Widow was kind of was okay. It's kind of weird that she's got this seemingly this fan this fancy, not necessarily fancy, but she has a new outfit even though she's going to be seemingly on the run since this is supposed to take place after Civil War. But we'll see. Uh, I I don't think there was anything else unless there's something you wanted to mention about Marvel. I those uh, no. Uh, the the thing I wanted to mention is is my excitement for the Marvel shows doubling because I think mentally we all picture a certain sort of cinematography, a certain sort of look when you think movie versus TV show. But when I watched the trailer for Maldalorian. I thought that looked like a freaking movie it trailer. Did. The Mandalorian trailer looked really good, and that is, and you're, yeah. you're correct. That is that's so actually, that just made me more excited for the Marvel TV shows because mentally, when you say TV show, I'm picturing a specific sort of look and production quality. But if the Mandalorian show looks like a freaking movie, then those Marvel TV shows, I can't wait to see what those look like. Because clearly they're going to be, you know, clearly they're going to be spending money. They're not going to be taking the, you know, they're not going to be taking the cheap route with these. That's 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 pretty that's pretty damn clear. Uh, the man, yeah, the Mandalorian av- absolutely looks like it absolutely looks like a Star Wars movie if, or a trailer for 
a Star Wars movie. Uh, within reason. I mean, it looks more like, to be fair, and I don't mean this as a shot because I happen to like that movie, it kind of looks more like Solo, let's say, than a proper episode. Yeah, that's true. But still, and and they do a really good job at make Ed not giving you any, like, any information whatsoever about the main character you know pedro pascal's mandalorian because you don't you not only do you not see him of course underneath the boba fett like mandalorian helmet it's just a lot of a lot of just cool action sequences for the most part and since this is take this takes place after the fall after the fall of the empire so this is not a this is not a resistance era show this is a post battle of endor show the, the time frame I like I, I naturally gravitate towards that it's good to I, I like Carl Weathers so seeing Carl Weathers potentially back in a show especially a show that might actually be be running for several seasons I think that I that kind of that intrigues me I think the fact that that's going to be available what on day one I think at Disney streaming on November 12th I think that platform is I think that's when that that's when the show comes that's when the show comes on I think that's also when the platform goes live. Are we able to pre-order subscriptions yet, Not or anything? Yet. Or is... no, I don't okay, think, I don't think so yet. Uh, I don't. One of the. I'm pretty sure. No. Um. Um. But it's because they gotta have. They're gonna have to do it soon. Yeah. And of course, I won't do. I, I, I'm curious because I'm. I'll actually be in Disney that week, so I'm curious if the TV's if the TV's gonna have it. Probably not, but I'm just wondering if they would at least have a like have a sample of it on their on their TVs. But obviously, I want. Even if I wanted to, I'm not going to be able to watch probably any of that stuff until they come back, since that's. But I am. I am. Yeah, you'll 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 be busy in Galaxy's Edge anyway. Yeah, I'm not. I got to be. We'll talk about Galaxy's Edge when I come back because I do. I should be able to get into Galaxy's Edge because I do have reservations for the cantina, which at least should get me in, literally in the door of the the air the that part of, the, of Disney's Hollywood Studios, regardless of whether they like hit max capacity and they're not going to allow any more people in because I have reservations to go into the cantina. I, you know, I will be allowed into the area, so it's at least will let me go into the sh- – you know, I'll be able to go to the shops and stuff. I can't guarantee – the thing I'm really looking forward to about Galaxy's Edge is the, is the rise of the resistance or the whatever – of ride and that's not what I'm going to be at, and I won't be able to do that since it's not doesn't open until uh, December at Hollywood Studios. So I'm going to miss that. I'm not really looking forward to the Smuggler's Run ride all that much because I don't. I think it's going to be a lot like Star Tours, which is okay, but not great. The motion on those things always make me a little concerned, and I also hear really bad things unless you happen to be like if you're the pilot and when you're running when you're flying the Falcon, it's great. But if you're like you know the the gunner or almost any any other position, then it's not nearly as cool. But I am interested in seeing it. I am interested in seeing it and check out the shops and things like that. But yes, I won't be able to check out anything with Disney Plus until. And in all honesty, I'm okay with that because if it was if I would be if there was a Marvel show coming on the first day or the first week the platform was on, I that would that would intrigue me more than the Mandalorian, especially since. And this is borderline controversial, though I honestly don't see what the big deal is. That they're not going to, you're not going to be able to binge watch these shows. They're going to be released one one week at a time. Mm. I don't know why people lose their go. I I don't know. I guess people try to distinguish between seeing something on regular or cable TV and a streaming service, and I just I can't help but just think that just reeks of us being spoiled now, where we're able to sit down and just binge watch stuff. And that a show when a show premieres, all the 
I don't see what the hell the big deal is. If it's, you know, I don't really get that. I mean, it's it's becoming an expected part of culture now. Have you, have you seen the commercials? I think there's, I don't know what what university it is. It's it's not one of like the cheap TV advertised universities, but it's also not one of the big universities either. It's somewhere in the middle. Have you seen the 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 TV commercials talking about how someone has created a um, one of those universities has created a, a binge education system or something like that? No, I did not. Basic, it's it's like an app that they've created where you can learn basically by binging. I don't know if it's like lectures or specifically produced videos or whatever, but it's a learning tool built around the binge idea so that when you're in the mood to start learning about something, you can just sort of binge a bunch of video content about it and then come back to it later when you're ready to binge the rest of the quote unquote season, or I guess in this case semester. (laughs) And don't get me wrong. I, I I understand the benefits to it. I just don't think it's worth moaning. And you know what about for a streaming service? I was like, oh my god! It's like I want to watch all the. I, 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 I. It's it's hard. Coming from somebody who for the for most of the shows that I follow, I and I and I follow and and even Netflix shows. It's a, you know I I can distinguish between Netflix shows and regular TV and not where it's like oh this is streaming I have to if it's streaming it has to be available now. I just there's some shows you can watch all the time, some shows you can't. I mean, friggin' how eight years of Game of Thrones, one week at a time, and then having to wait forever for se- for seasons. Even this, even something like The Flash, for God's sake, it's one episode a season. Then they do the stupid mid-season break, which is pointless. Uh, things like that. So I, I. Oh, and this year the mid-season break takes place during like, it during crisis. We're going to see half of Crisis and then be stuck waiting during the mid-season break to see the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, great, yeah, great job. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I don't see that as a big negative, but I – and if it's that big a negative, and if it's that big a negative, then wait a few weeks and you can watch multiple episodes back-to-back. True. Uh, I mean, or split it up. I mean, if it, I don't know how many episodes – I don't know how many episodes. I don't know if they've officially announced how many episodes – were in, or in season one of the Mandalorian, but even if there's only eight, then just wait, you know, just what? I don't know. I don't think it's a big deal, but I do think, I actually think D23. I think Star. I think Star Wars. It was a good week for Star Wars, or a good weekend for Star Wars, which they kind of needed, to be honest with you. Doesn't mean they sold me on. The, I mean, I was somewhat intrigued about the Mandalorian to begin with. It certainly that would not be making me get the platform. If there wasn't other stuff that intrigued me about Disney Plus, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be making me get it on just by itself, or w- that's not the tipping point. Oh, I need it. The Obi Wan show obviously is the one that intrigues me the most because that's way overdue. I still wish it was a movie. I still think Lucasfilm and Disney learned the wrong lesson from the Solo failure, which I think is really re- clearly, in my opinion, related to the Last Jedi failure and pushback by that percentage of the fans and how the fans were treated as a whole for not for pushing back against Last Jedi. And along with the fact that nobody really wanted to see that movie, but people would still have gone to see it and it would have done more business and people weren't pissed at Lucasfilm. That's the problem with it. So I think they learned the wrong lesson. And if they had just green greenlit projects people had really wanted to see and as far as the anthology movies were to begin with and they gave people Darth Vader movie 
an Obi-Wan movie, which should have been the first one because it was a slam dunk, or even a Boba Fett movie, if they had gone that route instead of picking these obscure stories that nobody really cared about, including Rogue One, which worked, but nobody was – that wasn't a story anybody thought they needed to see until they came out. And then you say, OK, I'm glad I saw that story. But they were grabbing things that people were not overly interested in. But I'm glad the Obi. I'm glad to see that Ewan McGregor will be coming back as Obi Wan. It's. I'm glad to see that it seems like it's essentially the script for the that was going to be the movie, has kind of been like stretched out a little bit and, and developed a little bit more. Just like they haven't given us how many episodes are going to be in that show. Mm. That show is going to be filming next year, so that's absolutely going to make me happy. Um, I still wish they had done a movie with the up. Opportunity to do more, like they did with Solo. That clearly was setting up future Solo movies. Solo was something that naturally would have been good on a streaming service. So if you really could go back and flip those, that would have been a wiser move, I think. Do the Obi-Wan as a standalone movie, do that Solo show on streaming, then you also don't have you don't have as high a bar to clear, you know? But the people, the way they react to it. And plus people could develop – could. Uh, people could discover it over time, even if they were reluctant to jump into it right away. If a lot of good, good buzz came off it, it's like okay, I'll give it a shot. And then if they liked it, boom. But that um, and did you watch the Star Wars? Did you watch the footage? I did. Um, I I don't have a lot to say about. It. There were some cool visuals, but nothing in that made me go, made me want or want to see the movie more or less. It just my desire to see the the new film is is still the same. I and I I absolutely agree with that. I think I mean it's also interesting. Everybody was everybody went you know batshit crazy over the ray with the double bladed lightsaber thing, the red lightsaber. That's clearly a force vision, like oh, like Luke in, in the cave on Dagobah, or or her in uh, in in the the little thing where the in in. Uh, the last movie where she was facing that mirror thing. It, it, it's it's either it's either that or, I mean, if they did go the if they did go the route of of from the clone perspective, which actually would explain why par- her parents were nobody and why she, because she they weren't really her parents. But if they go the route where like, they were they were they were clones and this was like a dark clone of her. Other than that, yeah, it's got to be that or it's got to be just a forced vision, an alternate future. Palpatine showing a revision or being tempted, something like that. It's, it is, you know, you'd you'd bet the mortgage that it's not. This isn't our Ray and how Ray is going to end up. End up. So yeah. I mean, it's a cool visual. As other people have picked out, though, arguably the cool, the most intriguing image in the trailer was not that. It's all those star destroyers. Oh hell yeah! Because especially because that is that is a ass ton of star yes, destroyers, and it looks clearly like old school star destroyers, Imperial. Star Destroyers, not uh, First Order Star Destroyers, which opens up multiple possibilities. See, the one intriguing thing about that is one of the biggest issues I had with where Last Jedi left, and of course, Brian Johnson clearly, he kind of essentially said this, didn't really give a shit where he left it off because he wasn't going to have to finish the story. He told the story that he wanted. It's like, here's the baton, run with it or sync with it. But one of the biggest problems I had by making 8 follow 7 so closely in real time was the fr- the friggin' resistance is pretty much down to everybody on the Millennium Falcon. They, and so however much time is supposed to take place between eight and nine, they have to get us to a point where it's a be- it's believable that the, the resistance is going to win at the end of nine and make it more believable than at the end of episode six where we all thought 
that they were that it was no nobody expected the whole empire to crumble overnight, but that seemed to be more than the handwriting was on the wall. They were going to win. This was the it was all you know it was the the decisive blow, and that, and then it was just going to be a matter of time now before the empire was wiped out. And there was reason to think that for multiple reasons: Death Star blowing up, Vader and the Emperor dead, things like that. So, but the rebellion was in a much stronger position, probably arguably throughout the entire original trilogy, than the resistance was ever in the sequel trilogy. So, how are they going to give us an ending to make us absolutely believe that now that, that they really won this time, when they're in a lot worse shape, and the First Order seems at least as incredibly powerful as the Empire was, if not more? Now, this thing with Pal, with the with the old school Palpatine, theoretically, probably Palpatine-led Star Destroyers. Maybe what's going to happen is maybe you're going to have the remnants of the First Order and the Resistance team up to take on the to take on the the Empire, which then will at least give you a realistic possibility of how you could actually militarily win. Because I still I'm I especially the rumor is this movie is supposed to only take place give or take like a year after Episode Eight. How the hell could the Resistance ever get that much support in a year to be able to challenge the First Order? It doesn't make any sense. So maybe that's the first hint that basically you're going to have almost like three different armies here, and then at the end of the day, two of them are going to have to side with are going to team up. Well, at the same time, the the uh, and I don't know about enough about I don't keep up the news, so I could be 100 percent off. But this is supposed to be the end of the Skywalker saga. This isn't the end of the of the galactic struggle. So maybe the problem comes in thinking that there's going to be a resolution to the conflict in the first place. Uh, it's it's supposed to be the end of the Skywalker saga, but the, but I also believe as of now, they've all it's supposed to be the end of the proper episodes. So I tr- trust me. Let, let, let's let's be like, hey, they, hey, they can do whatever they want, but st- sticking the landing on this is pretty damn important for the whole future of Lucasfilm and Disney. Sticking the landing is really important. And they gave you a half-ass ending where, oh, guess what? The, ba- the conflict isn't over. That's a good way to guarantee you're going to piss off the fan base tremendously, especially when you're selling this as this is supposed to be a conclusion to the to not just. The Skywalker saga, but a nine-movie arc. This is a a nine-movie arc that's coming to an end. Even though, let's be honest, episode seven and eight don't feel that close to, at the. A lot of the, that's a lot of the heavy lifting Abrams has to do. Seven obviously has a ties to, to the to the original trilogy and arg- and some ties maybe to the to the prequels. But episode eight is pretty pretty far out there. You take Yoda out of that movie, it did, would not feel much like it has any super strong ties to it. But this movie is supposed to end a nine-movie arc, and it has to be satisfying. Or and not giving not giving us an ending. Ending. I would be honest. I mean, if it, it would be honest, but I don't think that's what what they're what they're really going to do. But that's but that's one of the challenges. One of the challenges making it making it a believable ending. But we don't. But we don't know. We don't know what. But pal, you know. What Palpatine's role is going to be, other than it's supposed to be major, we don't know what the ties are going to be in the and and or roles and or appearances of uh, Luke and Obi Wan and Yoda and Anakin and all these things. We don't we don't know that, so it's hard to put it in context and it's hard to really. So I think that's. I mean, they showed the actually they did show that footage of of Kylo and Rey fighting like on the ship and surrounded by the water, which again. 
we've already seen Kylo and Ray fight. We've already seen them. It, it it that by itself means nothing. I mean, Ray 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 has like no lightsabers, no raw. She has raw talent, but she has like no skill, no real skill wielding a lightsaber whatsoever. Now maybe it'll be better in this movie. Not that she, not that seemingly having needing training has been a factor for Ray. And maybe we'll get an explanation for that. Maybe we'll finally get an explanation for why she can do shit she shouldn't be able to do, considering she has like has had literally no training. Even when Luke was showing her in the big picture, had nothing to do with really it, the, the ultimate raw basics to where you would think she might be able to do something. I mean, at least at least Yoda gave Luke some actual hands-on training. You saw Luke doing stuff with Yoda as far as you know some Force Jedi crap. You didn't really get any of that with Ray and Luke, but I'm still very cautious about this. I'm going to assume we're going to get a real trailer for this, probably in September. I don't think. I mean, it kind of. Be- When's the next Dis- big Disney movie? Is it the the, the Tom Holland Chris Pratt thing? Is that even this year? I didn't know that was this year. Is it? Um, uh, oh, damn it. I could ch- I could check. I'm just trying to think that because uh, we don't have another Marvel movie this year. So what's the next big Disney film? Um, but I'm not sure if that uh, that that is true. That is usually the that is usually the criteria, the standard, I guess, the gold standard to look at. Off the top of my head, with, without you know, without looking, I'm not sure what the next what the next release is. But they got. But it, it would it would kind of be it would kind of be odd to push this back until um, into October. I mean, this movie does come out in December. I'm I'm look I'm looking at this real quick to try to to see if there's uh, a ma- a major Disney or Pixar or something release. I don't see. Let's see, that's August. Um, I don't see anything in September. So it's it's. Hmm. I, yeah, I don't know if uh, Malif- oh, Maleficent. Mm, yeah, I doubt it. That's uh, that is uh, that is October. Okay, it's October eighteenth. Yeah. They it still would be odd if they pushed it back that far, but they could. Um, I don't think I'm now. I'm, I just want to double check. I didn't miss anything in September. September is not usually a big release month for them. Uh, I, there's there's not a tons coming out this month anyway. Hey, Rambo opens up against Downtown Abbey. Downtown Abbey. That's good. That, there's a there's a natural uh, counter programming one two punch. <laughs> I mean, I guess yeah, I guess it would have to be because the next big one is Frozen too, but that's November 22nd. That's way too late. Yeah. So yeah, I guess it would have to be Maleficent. I mean, there have been times when they worked pretty well in tandem with other production companies. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So Joker might be depending on the audience. The new trailer that, as we record this, comes out tomorrow. Uh, depending on how the the hype for the Joker movie goes, maybe they put it in front of that. Maybe, yeah, you said Rambo. Maybe that. Yeah, I, I, I only threw Rambo out just because I noticed it, and I'm gonna go see it. I think, I just think they'll release it. I just think it's they'll they'll release it. This could maybe this will be one of those Good Morning America premiere things first before it goes before it goes on streaming. That, that I think that. They, I mean, the logical time to release a full trailer would have been 
D23. So that was a little disappointing, just that that's sizzle reel, which was still like 90% of crap we had seen before, because they were all, they were snippets from all seven other, excuse me, all eight other movies. So it really was not particularly impressive from that perspective. So when people are calling it another trailer, it's not. It's not another trailer. It's it's like, it's it's the so-called sizzle reel with basically like about maybe not even, probably not even like 30 seconds of of, of new of new material, but I was kind of I think I thought that was a missed opportunity. I mean, we didn't get one at Comic Con, we didn't get one at D twenty three. You have to think it's coming it's it's coming soon because we've only had that teaser trailer and that was in the spring. Mm. So I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe we're gonna. Obviously, the later it takes them to release a full trailer, the odds are we're only gonna get one trailer. I mean, they still could release two, but I never. But the logic is kind of lame. If you don't, if you don't, re- like, if they didn't release the second full trailer or the first full trailer, the second trailer, until October, until Maleficent, do they really need it? Do they really need to do another trailer? Do they? I mean, I mean, they could. They, I mean, they could do it because, like we said, like you brought up, they could drop it in with Frozen. I mean, hell, I mean, uh, given the blitz that happens uh, with TV spots and stuff, giving away things and blah blah blah. They might as well. I wouldn't be surprised if, even if they release the next trailer late, that they still release yet another trailer before it happens. It does depend on how they, depends on how they want to do it. If they, it, it is that fine line going to the well, you know. So, but we'll see. But yeah, I thought I thought D twenty three wasn't overall as interesting as Comic Con, but it actually was. I think it was more interesting than it often is. Mm-hmm. Not from a, that's not from a Marvel movie perspective, but. But since Disney Plus is, you know, that obviously is the big thing right now. It's all, it's all Disney Plus all the time. Cool. Well, uh, since we're doing uh, feedback in the beginning of the episodes, uh, if anybody wants to reach out to us for feedback about this episode, about Green Lantern topics uh, in general, about previous episodes, what's the best way for them to do that? Best way to do that is lanterncast at gmail.com. That is the best way to reach out and contact us. The website is lanterncast.com. We are on iTunes and Stitcher, so whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag GeoCast to locate us on either of those. And last but not least, 708 Lantern is the voicemail. and Let us know what you think. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.